invite you to turn your Bibles this evening to Proverbs chapter 7. And if you have read ahead, you're going, oh great, another chapter on adultery. <laughs> you have to ask why this oft-repeated theme in the book of Proverbs, and I think the answer uh, is staring us in the face in light of uh, pride parades, the destruction of families, uh, the presence of so much immorality, the breakdown of the family. These are easy sins to commit that have long-standing ramifications if one embarks down the road of adultery. And so the parents of the son in the first several chapters of the book of Proverbs are keen to warn him about what might happen and how it happens and how we are to be vigilant not merely in resisting temptation but long before there is temptation uh, to know what that temptation looks like and to have one's heart nurtured on the truth and the goodness and the beauty of wisdom who is a woman, the parents would say in a kind of um, metaphorical way, a woman worthy of your attention. And if he can focus his heart upon her, he will protect himself from what in the New King James Version is called the crafty harlot. Maybe I should have entitled my sermon the crafty harlot. Maybe I, who knows uh, what kind of ramifications that would have had. My title is Great Beauty, Bad Mouth, maybe equally offensive. I don't know. We'll see. Proverbs chapter 7. I'll begin reading in verse 1. I'll read the whole chapter. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. And my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters her or flatters with her words. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple I perceived among the youths a man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening. In the black and dark of night. And there was a woman who met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. With an impudent face she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows, so I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love unto morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. 
With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. Now therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. This far the reading of God's word. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we ask... That we might take stock of how we spend our time and to whom and to what we give our attention. Lord, you are a jealous God and you would have every part of our hearts. Lord, that we might give them to you freely. That you might root out every wicked desire as we are exhorted in the New Testament that we might cast off every weight of hindrance that prevents us from running the race well and hear such a hindrance of lust and corrupting action. O Lord, make us a people devoted to your righteousness. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I'll say it again, I think one of the reasons why the parents are very earnest in communicating with their son, the the manner in which strong men fall prey, and many strong men have, perhaps you have seen in your own life and heard of the news of a particular person falling into deep immorality, and you wonder, how did it come to this? Why this person? Why this family? Well, the parents give the son here insight into that. We find at the beginning of this chapter the call for the son to pursue one kind of woman, a metaphorical woman, wisdom herself. Wisdom here is referred in the first part in the opening of the book of Proverbs as a woman, as Lady Wisdom who, like Lady Folly, cries aloud from one end of the street and welcomes men into her home and there she will provide a feast for them. But then there is also another metaphorical woman, Lady Folly. Here the parents are conveying to the son the importance of wise decisions of wisdom itself as the means of guarding one's heart and life and reputation. But then, that metaphorical lady folly becomes something else as the parents put legs, put hands and feet and a face on the kinds of moral decisions that the son will face, especially as he gets older. Now, I would say it is easy for us to look at the moment in which we live and our sort of cultural surroundings and go, what has become of us? But let us not forget why God judged the earth with a flood. It was because the sons of men went into the daughters of man. 
and they corrupted themselves with all manner of immorality. God judged the earth because the wickedness of man grew to such a state that it could no longer be tolerated. And the primary place where sin hits mankind the deepest, the cut that goes the deepest, is between the relationships of men and women that are meant to be grounded upon life, to build a family, to establish a kingdom, to take dominion. And so Satan knows exactly where to hit us, where to send his temptations and fiery darts. And the parents do not wish to leave the son unprotected. And so they communicate with him, two women, two kinds of women. And those are going to be my headings for the evening. Number one, woman, comma, your sister. This is wisdom. We see that in verses one through five. And then woman, comma, your destroyer. He might call her a crafty harlot, a loose woman. Verses six through 27. Let's look at the first woman that the son is called to become enamored with, as it were, to focus upon. The parents here are, in essence, with wisdom, playing matchmaker. Now, I don't want to mix our metaphors too much, lest we go, I don't know what you're actually saying. But in the epistles, younger men are exhorted to treat younger women in the church how? Do you remember? They're to treat older men like fathers, older women like mothers, and the younger women in the church like sisters. Now, what that does not mean is that the younger men ought not look to the younger women of the church for wives. It's a great place to look. In fact, it's the best place to look. And so when they are exhorted, 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to the church as he's writing to his son in the faith. For younger men to treat younger women like sisters, he is referring to a state of holiness, of purity, of edification. They are your sisters first, and so you ought to seek their good. They are not objects of your desire. They are not objects meant to bring you pleasure. They are those called by God. They share his image, and you are to protect them, to guard them, to treat them with holiness and respect. And so it's not strange, even when we talk, parents, to our sons, even when they be me interested in a member of the opposite sex to say, first and foremost, she is a sister in Christ. Ew, it's not meant to be that way. You're not trying to gross them out as an approach to holiness. You're trying to convey what? The holiness that all of our relationships should have. They are no more your sister than another older woman in the church is your mother. But you are to treat your superiors with respect, honor, obedience. And here the parents are saying to the son, we want you to think of lady wisdom like a sister. With reverence, due respect. Look at verse 4. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding. What is understanding? Well, throughout the book of Proverbs, understanding is that ability to assess life and to see, depending on the path you walk, what the end of that path will be ever before you walk it. It is the predictive power of biblical morality. 
And it isn't just enough, is it, parents, to say to your children, do this. You must motivate them. You must coax them. You must have their hearts. There is a time when your children are young where you can implement a kind of instruction that feels like pushing. There is force. But as your children get older, it is necessary that you rightly learn how to entice them to righteousness. Now, obviously, you have had to build a foundation for that. They need to understand the consequences of righteousness and wickedness. But the parents would have the son see wisdom as a woman who is your sister. And he is to nurture that relationship. And if he does so, what will happen? Verse 5. She, Lady Wisdom, will keep you from the crafty harlot. From the seductress. Verse 5. Who does not use her words to build up, to bring holiness, but to do what instead? To flatter. Now the temptation of flattery is real. What big muscles you have. Your face is so handsome. I don't care what anybody else says. <laughs> I think you're really nice. Those types of things. And it is very easy to fall prey to this. And if you think, well, no, I'm not um, into that sort of thing, then just see how often you check your social media after a post to see who has thumbed it up or given some sort of positive comment. It is addicting. Right? The admiration of others. But the kind of admiration, the kind of life that Lady Wisdom gives is truth about that man. And God has much to say of us. Some of it is convicting, some of it is encouraging. But we are to listen to his voice first. And so the beginning of all holiness is a courtship with the wisdom and understanding that God has given us in his word. And the degree to which we are to pursue it is like a courtship with a woman. Every thought, every intention, I just can't stop thinking about her. Seek wisdom like that. I just long to look into the law of God we are to be, in every respect, emotionally, psychologically, in our actions, wed to the word of God as our chief love. And if we do not do that, if we do not build a strong foundation, a kind of holy romance with wisdom, we are susceptible. From leaving the house of righteousness, where we are protected and there is love, and intimacy, and we will find ourselves walking through the alleyways in the dark of night, hoping that we will run into someone who will tell us what we long to hear, according to our flesh. So why do the parents belabor this issue? Well, why would any parent? Because the end of all this is catastrophe. Because the warning is severe, or... That the warning is severe is related to the nature of the destructive power of the sin. So let's look at the second point. Woman, your destroyer. Now the father continues his lesson, and he continues it from a sort of 
bird's eye view, like they would relate or he would relate the plot of a film. It's a popular film in Hollywood. In fact, it's a popular life in Hollywood, is it not? It's the life that is modeled for us everywhere around us. And this is what the father says. I'm looking out the window of my house and I see a man. He doesn't know I see him. And there he is walking among the streets, and I see him in the dark of night walking towards or around the house of a woman that he knows that he might get lucky with. He passes along the street, verse 8, around her corner. He takes the path, and he does so at night, in twilight, in the evening. In the black and the dark of night. Now, why is he doing that then? And why is he going there? Listen, there are certain places in Gastonia I would encourage you not to go in the dark of night. They're dangerous for a number of different reasons, and you ought not go there. Frankly, some of those places you ought not go in the middle of the day. And a fool, only a fool would go unless that fool is looking either for a fight or a fix. And the father sees exactly what that man is doing. It's the sort of top-down perspective. He sees where he is going. He traces his steps. And he sees that he is going out when he ought not. And he is in a place where he should not be in order to do something that he ought not do. In fact, here this young man, this simple youth, is not unlike the great example that we find in Scripture of David. David, oh David, the sin began by not going out, by then going up on the top of the roof, and then when he saw Bathsheba, he should have fled into the house. Remember Joseph? Joseph ran. And he did not run to, he ran from. This young man, he's a fool. He's simple, which is a a biblical way of saying he's stupid. He's an idiot. He's not a gullible idiot, though. Not completely. He knows exactly where he's going, and he knows exactly what he's doing. He's looking for an opportunity. It's not unlike the businessman driving his sports car through the cities of the street looking for a woman of the night. And so the father describes the path of the fool. He comes close. He endeavors to be hidden. And there are many ways in which that can be done. Incognito mode. Right? Disappearing messages on apps that allow you to do all kinds of things that no one else will see. And in this, the father has not a kind of sovereignty that is likened unto God, It is a situation that he is explaining that is not new or unique. It is common. And then from there, the father turns his attention to the meetup. The woman meets him. And she's dressed in a way that is that, well, I'm here. I'm single. Not really. (laughs) But I am ready to mingle. Everything she's dressed, everything she has on, the way she carries herself communicates to him that he is about to get what he desires. 
She's loud. She's rebellious. And she would not stay at home. The father mentions this because she is not content to be at home with her husband even when her husband is not there. To invest in. To give her heart to what she and her husband are building. And for all the grief that men get for their adultery in our culture today, for every man that, well, commits adultery, there is always a woman there with him. Here she is outside. She's in the open square. Here in verse 12, she's described by the participle of lurking. You know, it's interesting the way the Bible deals with the sins of men and women. You know, we live in a culture now, and the statement that holds true is, right, believe all women. You've heard this. What in essence that is saying is, in all of these kinds of occasions, women are innocent. Yet the Bible does not paint that picture. There is something more, well, balanced in the perspective. Neither does the Bible say, All women or women are primarily at fault. What it is saying is in all of these instances, there are two people seeking a kind of relationship that inherently destroys every other relationship that they are in. Adultery is inherently self-destructive and it destroys the communities in which we dwell. Now, once they meet, she catches him, verse 13. She kisses him with an impudent, that is a prideful face. She says to him, I have peace offerings with me. I have paid my vows. It's interesting that she has in her mouth the cultic language of Old Testament religion. What she is saying to him is, I am your path to peace and satisfaction. And I came here to meet you. I came here diligently to seek your face. You are the only one for me. I've been looking for you. Isn't this always, right, what we want to hear? I have found you. The question I think we have to ask is, really? That man or just any man? There she is lurking. She is a predator. He is the prey. What else? Well, an offer that this weak man cannot refuse. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen, perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, cinnamon. And then the very clear, blunt, inappropriate offer. Let us take our fill of love until morning because my husband is not at home. There is no sinning in the dark with God. Is this not what the Father reminds us of? You may think you're alone. You may think the door is locked. You may think no one sees. And yet, despite this private sin, there is both societal, corporate fallout and eternal judgment. There is a temporary Penalty, and there is eternal judgment. Now, there are and have been in the history of the world several meetups like this that never are found out. They remain in anonymity. No one ever discovers it. 
But the great penalty that the father describes here is not really just the discovery of these kinds of things among men. In fact, I will say it this way. It is far better that they be exposed and brought into the light in this life, if possible. And the great confidence she gives to him is that her husband will not know. But what kind of confidence is this? Is her husband this man's judge? (laughs) Well, he could certainly ask something of that man if he is caught. The problem with wisdom and folly is that in our folly and in the neglecting of wisdom, one of the great principles that we often forget is that if someone else who is our neighbor does not see, surely it means that God may not see. This is the wrong way of thinking of holiness. And so what does she continue to do? To coax him, to wear down his defenses... With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of its stocks, till an arrow struck his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost him his life. What is this man? Well, there may not be strong enough words in the English language to use. Many of them are not suitable for preaching. (laughs) A fool. An utter and complete fool. And it isn't that he doesn't know. It comes to the point that he simply no longer cares. This man is a fool not simply because he's not really thinking about the consequences... Those things have been pushed aside with this forbidden longing. And he is out of his right mind. This is no excuse. It is part of the process. But it is characteristic with a fool. Now we have heard of this story time and time and time again. And such a man will end in death. It is a great warning. In fact, in verses 24 through 27, the father turns directly to the son again, and he employs him. Listen. Listen to me here, not just my son, but my children. Here he is speaking not just to a man, but all of his household. And he is saying, listen to the words of my mouth. You see, the problem with sin is that it is beautiful, but it is false. This woman is effective because she knows exactly what to say. But all she has to say is wickedness. And there is something about the pairing of a beautiful face 
and a wicked mouth that brings those who have not guarded their hearts and built their lives upon the rock that is Christ Jesus and submitted themselves to his law and his will. They are not victims, but they are like Adam. What was Adam doing when Eve ate the fruit? Where was he? What was he doing? What would the father say to Adam? Why did you not say something? What were you doing? You see, the great sin of men is not necessarily in knowing what is right or wrong. It is to give up quickly that which they know to be true for momentary pleasure. The problem with that is it can cost you so much. And what does the Father say? Look at verse 25 through 27. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. I'm sure many Christian men have said, not me. And that theme, right, of spiritual pride is normally and almost always accompanied by what? Not trusting in and building a life upon the word of God. There's none of the preparation that we see in verses 1 through 5. It's pride. But many husks of strong men left by the wayside. And not only is there temporary consequence, there is eternal consequence. Her house is the way to hell. Whose house? Well, the choice that you make to go that way. It can be any woman. It is not the woman. It is the act. It is a perverse heart. It is perverse action. It is not repenting and seeking the way of righteousness. That is the way to hell. And though you may experience momentary pleasure, you may just reap eternal consequence. Now let me just say this in closing. This is heavy subject matter. (laughs) And none of these sermons are meant to stand as accusations. What they are meant to do is stand as warnings, lest we be tempted and go that way. To give in, to think that we will be the exception. Children, when you rebel, it is always with this notion, I'm justified in my rebellion. I'm entitled to it. It is the way to freedom. And that is why the parents time and time again say, listen, son, you stand at this crossroads and there are two kinds of choices you can make. There is the way of wisdom that leads to life and there is the way of folly that leads to death. And here is the dilemma in your heart. You will say to yourself or someone else will may say to you and they will tempt you with these kinds of words. No, no, you can go down this path and it will be fine. What God does want want you to know is these pleasures. He's holding back. Is this not what Satan does? He's keeping these good things from you. Throw off authority. But what happens? 
we cannot escape the all-seeing eye of God. And he is judge of all the earth. And the only way that you and I will ever escape judgment is if we repent of our sins and cling to him for righteousness. Ultimately, the way of wisdom reveals to us this. You and I need the help of God's word, and we need the help of his spirit to walk wisely and to walk righteously. Do not follow the path that leads to death, but instead follow the path that leads to Christ's cross. Let's pray. Lord.